Good morning. Welcome back to High Point Online. My name is Andy, lead pastor here at High Point Church. Great to be here with you. Let me start by asking you a question today. As we head into the holiday season, do you, do, do you consider yourself someone who's joyful? Do you have a lot of joy in your life? Or do you, you know, kind of drift a little bit more towards the Scrooge side of things, the Ebenezer Scrooge spirit vibe attitude mentality? Where is your disposition? Are you the person who's just angry because somebody put up their Christmas tree before Thanksgiving? <gasps> Surprise. We did busted. Are you upset when somebody says Merry Christmas to you before the allotted time or is listening to Christmas carols? Oh yeah, we got people waving their hands right now who are part of our production team. They're just, there's a real bitterness there, okay? Let me begin today's sermon by saying officially, now that we're in December, Merry Christmas. Okay, there's no violation here. It's Christmas time. All right, we're in, we're, we're in the thick of it now. We've got Christmas lights and Christmas carols and Christmas cookies and Christmas parties and get-togethers and you're planning trips and you're buying presents and we're doing all the things. If you are a Christian, if you are watching this and you have put your faith in Jesus, the exclamation point for the holidays and for Christmas in December is Jesus Christ being born. That's why we do what we do. That's what we're doing it for. And sometimes that becomes, you know, the, the one of the last things, honestly, that we're celebrating over the holidays, which is unfortunate. We'll get to that in just a second. But, but understand that God sent his son, Jesus. He was born of the Virgin Mary, born in a stable over 2,000 years ago and would grow and carry upon himself the sins of the world for you and for me that we might have the hope of a restored relationship with God, Almighty God, our Father. That is the celebration of Christmas. But if you're like me, I grew up going to church. If you're watching and you live in the South, like many of you do, uh, many of you grew up going to church as well, and, and, and you've heard the account of Jesus' birth so many times. Even if you are new to church or new to faith, many of you know all the words to the Christmas carols. Even though you may not have, have really attached what's happening in your mind as your lips move and you like the tune of the song, it may not have actually kind of gone down into your heart and changed anything. You still know it. So what happens many times is we have such familiarity with the account of Jesus being born, that we forget the power and the significance of the actual story itself. We forget. Familiarity breeds just a, just a, almost a complacency as it pertains to the amazing story of Jesus being born. So what we're going to do is we're going to read it afresh today, just a little portion of it in Luke chapter 2. And then we're going to look at what it means for you and I to live a joyful life. Because last time I checked, we could all use an injection of joy. Luke chapter 2, 8 through 12. All, <clears throat> excuse me. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy 
for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The arrival of Jesus is announced and pronounced and and you know, shouted from the rooftops with great joy. Literally, the, the, the heavens shred apart for a moment. While shepherds are tending, you know, sheep and, and, and an angel shows up and the glory of the Lord is shining around them and they're terrified initially. And the angel says, don't, don't be afraid. I've got news that is going to blow your mind. In fact, it's going to cause great joy for you, but not just you, great joy for everyone who hears it. Messiah is finally here, the Savior. See, the birth of Jesus is to be accompanied with great joy. But why is it? If, if, if the Savior coming is supposed to bring great joy, why does it feel many times like this time of year brings great stress? Great Savior, but what I'm experiencing is great stress, anxiety frustration, getting a little scroogey at times, right? The Ebenezer vibe coming out. Here's what I mean. When we forget the significance of what Christmas is really about, well, all of a sudden we start getting real frustrated really quickly with that traffic. We get angry at our at all, at all the people in bumper-to-bumper traffic. Everybody's out shopping. You're anxious and stressed out about trying to get gifts, and parents are frustrated and tense about how they can afford all the gifts, and what are we going to do, and our, our kids have everything, and this and that, and you're stressed out trying to get the right thing for your spouse or your friend. You're annoyed just thinking about having to drive through through traffic to get to family. You're annoyed about what food is going to be on the table. You're annoyed about what food's not going to be on the table. You're already speculating about conversations with people that are going to drive you crazy. Right? This is what we do. This is not the heart of Jesus being born in the celebration and joy that it should produce inside of us. No, those kinds of reactions... No, that's more on the Ebenezer Scrooge side of things. The reality is it's a lot easier to be an Ebenezer Scrooge than it is to be a joyful Christian. And if you're wondering, I I probably should have qualified this for you. If you're wondering who is Ebenezer Scrooge and somehow you don't know and you're watching this, Charles Dickens wrote a book called A Christmas Carol. And it's been, I mean, it's one of the most popular books in the world and it's read this time of year, and it's basically, you know, you have this older gentleman who, who just is kind of hard-hearted. And he complains and is bitter and resentful about everything. Bob Cratchit, his employee, comes in, and, 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 and Scrooge complains about him taking time off, right, for the holidays. He complains about the coal being used to heat the, the little office. He complains uh, uh, about being invited to family get-togethers. He is complaining about people singing. He's complaining about being asked to give money to the poor. And I quote, he says... People should just go ahead, the poor should just go ahead and die so they can decrease the surplus population. Yikes. We don't want to be a Scrooge, do we? And yet, 
Many times we begin to drift this way. If Scrooge was, was, was managing an office in 2021, right? If he, was, if he was running a tax office like he basically does uh, in the Charles Dickens novel, he'd be complaining about his staff. He'd be complaining about bills that have to be paid. He'd be complaining about the, the guy, you know, that's, that's asking for money outside of Target. He'd be complaining that he pays for prime shipping, yet somehow it's not getting here in two days. It's getting here in three, four, maybe five days. This is an utter outrage. And we complain and we get frustrated. If Scrooge had a television, he'd be the person who's barking at the latest news story and the state of our country and, and the virus and the economy and the current administration. Humbugs come for everybody. They come for you. You find yourself becoming a Scrooge. Maybe it's not just this time of the year. Maybe you're just wired that way. And you naturally drift towards just complaining and being frustrated and being annoyed and having something to gripe about all the time. Here's what I want you to hear today. It doesn't matter if you're old or young. It doesn't matter what color your skin. It doesn't matter how much money you make or how little you make. None of those things matter for what I'm about to say to you. God has called you to be joyful. You have a heavenly father who desires that you would be filled with joy. The joy of the Lord. A spirit that celebrates, a, a lightheartedness. I'm not saying that you can't be serious. Uh, we need to be serious. We need to be able to have serious conversations. But understand, there is a joy of the Lord. In fact, we'll read a verse here in just a moment from the book of Nehemiah. The joy of the Lord, the Bible says, that is our true strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So there is there's something that happens when we reject being complainers and we reject griping and we reject being bitter and resentful and in fact lean into the fruit of the spirit of joy and joy being produced in your life. God desires for you to have great joy. Luke chapter two. I love that the Bible says that it would be great joy for all the people. Not a little bit and not just enough. Great joy. God's called you to be joyful. Christmas is about a savior born in a stable who brings great joy to the world. So for the sake of clarity today, well, as, we're, as we're talking online, let's just define joy. It's helpful for us to know what we're talking about here. And so I'm just going to come out with it. Joy is a feeling of good pleasure and happiness that's dependent on who Jesus is rather than on who we are or what is happening around us. In other words... Little math equation here. If 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 Jesus is unchanging and if Jesus is is faithful and if Jesus is the rock 
And joy is dependent upon him, and he isn't changing, he's not going anywhere, and he's always faithful, then joy is something that we can consistently experience and lean into. It's not something that is flighty. It's not something that's just dependent on the winds of the day or how you feel in a given moment. No, if it's anchored in Jesus, and Jesus isn't moving, and Jesus is the rock, well, then we can continue to go to him and experience joy on a regular basis. Just like the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, what is it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, we can all admit that we need more of those things, but how do you get them? How do you see them produced in your life? Well, it looks like us turning first and foremost to Jesus himself and asking for him to help us. Some of you hear me talking about joy and you think to yourself, that is the last thing I'm experiencing. It doesn't even feel like a possibility. It doesn't feel like reality. And I don't want that to, I don't want, I don't want to dismiss the, the realities of your life or my life. This isn't just kind of lightweight happy talk today. And sometimes, you know, it can feel that way when we talk about joy, right? As if, as if you're just supposed to experience it, like, oh, hey, you should just be joyful and we leave it at that. No, the series that we're in right now, Ebenezer, it's designed not only to help us look to Christ, but in the coming weeks, we're going to look at how to actually see joy grow in our lives, how to become people who are joyful. But before we even get to it, I know some of you, you're sitting here and it just doesn't feel like a possibility. You've worked and worked and worked. You've become successful thinking that success would produce joy. And the reality is you're at the top of the game. You're a game and it's actually still joyless. In fact, it may be hard to believe, but statistically speaking, once people have enough money coming in to meet all of their, their immediate needs, food, clothing, shelter, and generally also uh, medical care, once those four things tend to be met with, it doesn't matter how much more money you make, it doesn't create that much increase in life satisfaction, happiness, or joy, people report. Now, I hear that and I'm like, well, let me put that to the test. How about you show up with a boat full of cash and I will be the one who, who, who tests this out to see if that is really true. And that's how all of us feel. And yet, statistically speaking, once you start making more than about $60,000, $65,000 a year and you have your needs met, there's not that much more joy that's brought to your life by having more stuff more bigger homes, more things. It doesn't create what we think it's going to create. Having the perfect physique, it doesn't bring joy to your life. Well, you might be healthier and that is absolutely a good thing. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have joy or that your life is joyful. People go to the gym and they go and they go and they go thinking at some point they'll arrive and yet there's still always one more workout they've got to get to. There's always one more pound that has to be lost. There's always something that still has to be gained. And so we see the same pattern over and over again, whether it's retail therapy, whether it's gym, whether it's money, whether it's earning, all the things. 
And so we find ourselves like the hamster in the wheel that's just spinning, running, 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 trying to chase something, chasing something that we're never going to actually get to. But yet we read the account of Jesus and the angels show up to shepherds who are tending sheep, who, by the way, they don't have a whole lot. They're not known for being wealthy. Angel appears and says, I've got unbelievable news. And it's going to cause great joy. If you look at the book of Nehemiah, we see, we see something happen here. I love the book of Nehemiah. I love Ezra and Nehemiah. They're my two favorite books in the Bible. But I love what's happening. You have a people who are in exile. Right, people who've been in more or less slavery for quite some time. They've been removed from their hometown of Jerusalem, and they've been in Babylon, and they've, they've literally been under siege from, from uh, outside countries and in war and embattled and literally learning different cultures as they've been what, what feels like almost kidnapped is a, is a way to say it. You're uprooted from, from where you're from and taken to a foreign land. And these exiles have returned and they have been rebuilding Jerusalem, the city of God. They've been rebuilding this place where their ancestors would come and worship and God's spirit would move. And they've been rebuilding the wall around the city. And they finally have finished it. And yet it's still a shadow of its former glory. But here's what happens. The, the, the teacher, the scribe Ezra, as the, as the wall is finished, he assumes this place amongst all the people. He begins to read from the scriptures and the people are hearing the words of God for the first time in a tremendous amount of time. And so in Nehemiah chapter 8, this is what happens. It says, Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Don't mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah said to them, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. And send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Don't grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Down to verse 12. Then all the people went away to eat and drink to send portions of food and to celebrate with what? Great joy. Because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this. And their joy was very great. You have a people who have been so influenced by their culture. They've, been, they, they, they've adopted and adapted to the culture that they have lived in. And they're living in such a way that is contrary to the words of God. And as God's word is being preached and taught to them, they're looking at themselves and they're realizing we are so far from God. Our situations are, are just dire. It feels like a disaster. How is, how is this going to be made right? How is this broken place in my life going to be made whole? How is this situation that is jacked 
up beyond repair going to get fixed. I realize the wall around my city has been fixed, but the walls in my heart are still torn down. How on earth can God move in this situation? And that's how many of us feel, joyless, because we're looking at our families and we're thinking, God, how? How is this going to get better? How can you possibly move? I can't even fathom. I can't imagine what this could possibly look like. I'm tired. I'm weary. I'm worn out. And God, yes, I need a miracle. But the last thing I feel is joy. Some of you are looking at your own choices and your own life and you're thinking, man, if God only knew what I was thinking, if God only knew how I was living, if God only knew, God does know. But this is how we feel condemned, ashamed. The thought of having relationship with God Almighty, it feels impossible. And so joy is absent. Oh, we know all the we know all the churchy routines. We know the words to sing. We know the account of Jesus being born. But yet this is how we really feel. And this is what we're going through. So what do we do about it? We take a step back for just a second. We take a deep breath and we remember that joy, it doesn't come first and foremost. It doesn't come from our situations. It doesn't come from our circumstances. What is joy? Joy is, it's a good pleasure. Right? It's happiness that is dependent upon who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, not our circumstances. So the beginning of joy growing in our life is taking our eyes off of our situation, off of our plight, off of our difficulty, and fixing them afresh and anew on Jesus Christ. I'm not telling you to stick your head in the sand. I'm not telling you to ignore your problems. What I am saying, much like Nehemiah and much like Ezra, is that joy and grieving, they can go hand in hand, but in this moment, what you need to do is take your eyes off your situation, fix them upon God Almighty. Let this not be a moment of grief. Let this not be a moment of weeping. Let this not be a moment of condemnation or shame. No, 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 no. Let this be a moment where you celebrate for the first time in a while who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. If you want joy at work in your life, you've got to learn to celebrate who Jesus is and what he has done. There's a time for grieving. There's a time for weeping. The Israelites, Israel here, God's people, they have a reputation for being people who complain. They gripe. And even in this moment, the word that, that's being used is, is grief. I, I have a feeling if we, if we really unpack some of this, there's also some self-pity happening, right? It's probably some wallowing, you know, in their situation. Guilty. I love to have self-pity. I love to wallow in my misfortune. 
and vent it out and talk to anybody who will, who will lend an ear to me. Oh, you won't believe. Oh, let me tell you about this. Oh, woe is me. <laughs> and away we go. No. Here's what we're going to do. We're not going to be a Scrooge in this moment. Now we're going to be a joyful follower of Jesus and celebrate who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. At High Point, we, we love to celebrate. Uh, my wife and I, we love to throw a party. We love to celebrate. In fact, just this week, uh, we had our middle schoolers and some high schoolers over to our house for the Christmas party. And why are we celebrating? Because God is good and God is faithful and he's worth celebrating. And let me tell you something. Even though this particular moment didn't produce joy in my life, you know it's a party when the Chick-fil-A sauce ends up on your ceiling. That's what happened, ladies and gentlemen. Chick-fil-A sauce on the ceiling. It was a little bit wild and a little bit crazy. Okay? That's how we do it. Right? We're, we're celebrating who Jesus is and what God has done, and just life and life more abundantly. At High Point, one of the things that we do this time of year is we have a birthday party for Jesus, and we, we encourage our kids and High Point kids to celebrate this season by literally having a party. In the same way that you would have a birthday party for, for a friend, we have a birthday party for Jesus because it is his birthday. It's a birthday party for Jesus. Come January and February, we're going to have baptisms as people put their faith in Jesus. And guess what? We're going to celebrate that. We're going to party with that because Jesus is good. He's faithful and he's worth celebrating. And if you want joy to begin Working in your life, we begin by celebrating who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Jesus says it like this uh, it, three different times in Luke chapter 15. He talks about a lost sheep. He talks about a lost coin and he talks about a lost son. And you can read it if you want to. You can go to Luke chapter 15 and begins in verse 3. But, but there's, there's too many accounts here to give you all the details. But understand that it looks like this. There was something lost. And that thing that was lost was found. And when the thing that was found, right, the, the sun, the coin, the sheep, when it's discovered and it's found again... Jesus describes that moment of celebration as one of rejoicing. And it involves calling other people and inviting other people into the celebration. And there's a party that takes place. Hey, I, I found my coin. I found that money that I was looking for. Come over to my home and celebrate me. Let's rejoice. I found, my, I found that lost sheep. I left the 99 and I found the one and I put it on my shoulders. I found that which was lost. Come and rejoice with me. And the greatest picture of all, the, the father waiting for his wayward son to come home. And when the son comes home, the father rejoices and he puts the robe on the son and the ring on the son. And he sends servants to go slaughter the, the fattened calf and to throw a party. Why? Because my son that was lost is now found. Let's 
have a party. Let's celebrate. It is a time of rejoicing. This isn't a time of grieving. This isn't a time for weeping or wailing. No, no, no. It is, this is the moment. Let's celebrate it. Let's be a people who are joyful. So what are you celebrating? What has God done in your life? What has God done in your life, whether you're 10, whether you're 94? God is at work. God is moving. And there are things worth celebrating. I promise you. And if we're going to be a people who have joy alive and at work and a contagious joy in our lives, then it's going to begin by us becoming a people who learn to celebrate who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. So we're going to do that together right now by taking communion. Uh, The Bible, you know, there's lots of different ways you can take communion. Now we're doing it online together. Um, so typically, you, we would be in a room together. We'd be have we'd have people together, and in, in the Bible, it almost looks like a party. It looks like a meal being shared together in this moment. But we're we're going to just celebrate online. So I want to give you just a second to go get your communion. You can get your juice. You can get your cracker, right? And, and I'll give you just a second. Come on back, and we're going to celebrate who Jesus is together in this moment. And yeah, we're going to do it online. All right, I'm back. I had to get my communion supplies as well, right? We all have work to do. And so here's what we're doing. We're celebrating God's faithfulness and his goodness. And when the Bible, when we see the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, Jesus is looking at his disciples and he says, hey, do this in remembrance of me. And we always look at that and we think of this just tremendously solemn moment. And it can be, but it doesn't have to be. Right? We're, we're called to celebrate who Jesus is. And what did Jesus do? Well, his body, it was broken for us on the cross so that, so that our sins would be wiped away and be cast as far as the east is from the west. Jesus has dealt with our sin so that we might have relationship again with our heavenly father. He dealt with it. And that is cause to party. That is cause to celebrate. That's cause to have joy. And so his body was broken for us. And this is what the bread represents. And the juice represents his blood spilled for us. And while it was a tragic day, a a, a day of great pain and sorrow, it was a day that turned to rejoicing. Three days later, when Jesus stepped out of the grave, alive and victorious over sin and death. What did he do? He dealt with our sin. He is the savior of the world, Messiah our risen King and our risen Lord. Why did the angels come? Why did the heavens rip apart and they make a proclamation to these shepherds? Because they had great news that would cause great joy for all the people. A Savior has been born. His name is Jesus. In this moment, let's take the bread 
wherever you're at, you can take the bread and remembrance and celebration of Jesus. And now take the juice and remembrance of his blood spilled for you and for me. We do this together as a joyful people in worship and celebration of who Jesus is and what he has done. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this moment of celebration together. Even online, we thank you for this opportunity. There is no one like you in all the earth. We thank you that you cause great joy. You have given us great joy. And we choose to be joyful people today. Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas. So grateful to be here with you online today. And we look forward to seeing you right back here next Sunday. See you then.